0: If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to ko hyphen that's dot com forward slash alone. Or you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I'm here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and our topic is going to be another batch of questions from you guys. Before we get into the questions, let's talk about
1: our week, Holly. How did your week go? Actually, in spite of chaos, I had a really good week. Excuse me. Um, Let me see. I got 6,100 words exactly on (laughs) the Ohio novel. Uh, So 100 words exactly more than my top stated goal. Really, really happy about that. Um, I got to page 126 on the... Uh, dead man's party revision. Uh, I managed to fix some of the stuff on my HollyLyle.com site. I managed to get the uh, uh, some of the little dead code that I had up at the top cleared out, which I'm working with a new theme, and it was driving me really, really nuts. But um, it has it has turned out great, and it's made the site so much faster. So uh, I basically have that site done now. Um, nice. I made some changes to the way I'm doing the newsletter. I dropped the game. I dropped the non-game. I am just doing one version of my my updates so that everybody can go through and pick just what they want and make it. It's not. It's not. <laughs> I was complicating things, and my life right now does not need to be complicated, er, because yeah. it already is. Yeah. Um, let's see. I mailed out the my first. My prizes for my first five co-fi winners, coffee, coffee winners, um, the guys that uh, won the uh, Create a Character Clinic print versions of uh, the fourth edition of the book, um, all signed, and those are all on the way, and people should be getting them here pretty soon. Um, I did consulting work for uh, a guy who is going to remain nameless, but who hired me to help him figure out how to make his series better. And I'm very excited about that. And I worked on the how to write a novel bonus, the um, uh, how to turn a novel into a series uh, final bonus for that course. So, and that was, a, it was yeah, in spite <laughs> of chaos, yeah. it was a pretty good week. I got a lot of stuff done, and I'm very excited about all of it.
0: Yeah, that was a very very busy week.
1: Lots of stuff. Yeah. Well, hey, that's where a bullet journal comes in handy, man. Yeah. You don't forget things. It's awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, I had pretty much the opposite. Almost all I did was work on revision.
1: But the but you (laughs) you just the one thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I got because it's a big fat novel, and I got through more than. I'm, I'm over halfway. I'm almost to one third to the, you know, like to the where there's one third of the book left for the 1Bs. So that's one lesson in how to revise your novel that I'm down. And it's taken about a week.
1: But that is the worst, hardest, most difficult. Yes. The, that is the lesson that causes most people to throw up their hands in despair.
0: Yeah, the, the course itself can be, the first half of the course is very rough as well. Yeah. So, and and this one, it wasn't like when I was working on Glass House or when I was working on um, Leaving Wanda Lucia. This, I, I've had a lot of fun with this. It's just tedious. Yeah. But um, I got that done, and uh, I worked on our site too, actually, the Alone in a Room with Invisible People site. Cool. So, a little bit. And um, found out that we both have a thing called visual snow.
1: Oh, my God. I forgot about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if anybody is interested, look up the Monash University. uh, That's M-O-N-A-S-H. University uh, visual snow image. And you can see kind of a visual representation of what Holly and I both have and go through. But... (laughs) Um, if you read the article it actually covers a lot of the the other symptoms that we both face and um it's I just want to say that it's not as gray the dots are much smaller oh yeah and we can see color perfectly fine right right so yeah yeah but <laughs> but yeah we I, I found out that I suffered from it from you know like because I was looking up some issues with my eye that turned out to be stress related and um I Called my mom because I wondered if she would possibly have it, <laughs> and she does. <laughs> and it's just the two of us. It's it's not nope. her other son, like her sons. Nope. It's it's yeah. Nope. So and
1: more Matt. Matt was going. What? Well, yeah, but you Matt's have...
0: not related.
1: Well, no, but you know, you keep thinking. Well, you know, I thought everybody saw things this way. I thought everybody had after images and and yeah. little, like you did. You know, little just. Fuzz over everything, and it's it's weird because and glasses don't fix it.
0: There's no no part. I mean, the dots are always there. They're always permanent. And when you move your eyes around, like she said, the after images. So it you don't even have to be staring at something for very long. You just get it all the time. It's just everything has halos.
1: Everything has yeah yeah. But it's it's always been this way, and it never occurred to me that. This wasn't just the way things looked. So she sent me this this article and I read through it and I went, what the fuck? Oh, yeah. but did, did you mean everybody doesn't, this isn't just the way eyes work? Well, apparently not. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. So that, it was mind blowing for us both that yeah. we both have a neurological, what they call a neurological disorder because yeah. our neurons are firing incorrectly. And we didn't know about it until 36 and 58.
1: Yeah, almost 59.
0: (laughs) Yeah, That's that's pretty crazy. Hey,
1: that's all right. I didn't find out I had scoliosis until I was 52. (laughs) Everybody was always telling me my back hurt because I was just wound too tight. So guess what? Not so much.
0: (laughs) All right. So I think that that is it. So now we are going to get into our questions. Okay, so the next question is, and just to let you know, we, we know that you guys have asked questions about point of view. Um, we know that there are different discussions on point of view and all of that stuff. And we're probably talking about doing an entire episode on point of view because there's so much detail and so much information. But we're just doing this one question right now. Don't worry, we haven't, we're not ignoring you. We see all, all of the questions. So this question is, How to choose a point of view. I feel like I want to do omniscient third, but that's hard to do well, quote. And, quote, not done much anymore, unquote. And, quote, not popular with readers, unquote. I can't do first. It's way too limiting. And third isn't working. I keep head hopping. Third close. Oh, sorry. And third close isn't working. I keep head hopping.
1: Okay. Um... So I am going to, um, first off, come at this from the point of view of a proud tool user and tool builder. Uh, I started learning how to use tools when I was a little kid and how to design and build my own, and I have been doing it for the rest of my life, and my classes are tools. So I want to pull a quote out of this that is absolutely, utterly destructive to the person who says it. Or the person who thinks it, and it is this: I can't do X. Okay. In this case, it's I can't do first first-person point of view. That is looking at houses and saying, "Well, I want to build houses, but I can't use a hammer." Or,
0: or that's like like what I did with uh, with uh, Fulton Hills before Fulton Hills. Oh, I can't write to I, I can't write without an outline. Right. Right.
1: It's I I can't yeah. (laughs) There if you are a tool user and if you are a writer, you are first and foremost a tool user. Any kind of creative. Yes. The thing you must do is learn how to use all the tools. All of them. And you don't have to be good at it to begin with, but by God, you got to learn how to use them all. And you have to learn how not to hit your thumb with the hammer. And you have to learn how not to drive nails into the guy working next to you. And uh, there are just a bunch of different things. You are a tool user. Don't say, I can't. Yeah. That is yeah. that is the wrong approach to everything. Okay, now, it is entirely appropriate to say first person point of view is not appropriate for this particular project. There are particular projects for which first-person point of view is appropriate.
0: I, I wanted to say something just real quick about sure. that head-hopping thing. Mm-hmm. He, he points out, like, already you're noticing a problem you're having that's a good thing. Yes. It's, it's not, you know, head hopping is shitty. I can't stand reading it, it you know, <laughs> in published novels, like tra- like actually got published by a traditional publisher and I, wait, this was her scene. Now it's his. Now it's his ne- next person. I can't stand head hopping. But the fact that you noticed it is amazing. That's great. That means you, okay, this is, this is a problem that I am doing. How do I not do this anymore? Oh, okay. Well, let's just do everything in this one person's point of view. You know, and it, that's, that's everything in this one scene is just from this point of view. Now, if you're talking about head hopping from scene to scene, that's fine. Right. No, that, that isn't head hopping. If yeah. you are
1: doing, if you are going with one person's point of view in one scene, and then you go to the next scene and you go to another person's point of view, that's not head hopping. That's no, just that's fine. writing good fiction. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's, hopefully you're doing what
0: you, what, like you, you have mentioned is who's doing the most interesting thing right now. Right. You know, and and so that's great. That's that's wonderful to read. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, going from person to person, thought to you know, if you are recognizing that problem in your writing, it's a good thing because you're paying attention. Right. So
1: just the solution yeah. to that is to learn what a scene is and to learn how to write scenes. Um, I have a little thing on that. Um, Yeah, well, there's
0: how to um, write page turning scenes. That's also, it's under $10. It's great. It's one of the clinics. And it definitely, it gives you the definition of a scene in there, as do most of your bigger
1: courses. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But that one, that one will teach you how not to head hop. Now, let's get back to how do you choose a point of view? You are looking at which tool is best for the job. If you are writing a very short story, generally you only want to have one point of view, uh, a 500-word story. Now, I have done, I have done 500-word super, super short stories in which I have had multiple points of view. But
0: Because, again, there is no one right way to do anything, and Holly is a contrarian, and you are going to find that your muse is probably the same. Yeah. And. there's always, what's it, uh, what is that phrase? There's always, um, not, there's always
1: an exception to the rule. There is. Yes. Now there, there are a couple of exceptions to that rule too, but (laughs) we're not going to get into those today. Um, what, what you want to do is say, okay, well, what do I want to accomplish with this story? And if you want to bring one person and and put the reader inside of that person's life, then you want to have a single point of view. Now, you can have it as third person and and dig into that person's point of view from third person and follow them along. And you just tell a story sequentially through, not through that person's eyes, but by watching that one person, okay? That's third person either close or third-person distant single point of view. If you have a number of things in the story that are going to be happening simultaneously in different places that you are writing, okay, uh, just rough example, you're writing a fantasy novel, and you have two characters on different sides of the magical war zone, and you need to have these two people become allies. I'm I'm kind of pulling Talon's plot out and throwing it onto the page here, but uh, you need these two people to become allies after having been enemies. Then you have to have those two points of view. You have to show who they are and how they change to become the people who learn that in order to save their world, they're going to fight together. In spite of the fact that they have been brought up from, from 600 years of war, to define each other as enemies. You have to look at them and say, okay, third person, I can do this in third person. Or you can be all tricky like I was and have one first person and one third person because um, sometimes you just like to do things the hard way. But well, it brought you closer to Talon. Too. It did. It did. It let me it let me get inside Talon's head and inside her culture and it let me learn about the Tonk, and it let me care about this this war that these people were in. And then Gare from the other side of it was was third person, but she got inside of his head briefly in first person during a sort of magical interlude, which was funny as hell. And and you you play with it, you learn how to use your tools, and then you define what those tools are supposed to do. If you want to get into just one person's life and you want to beat the crap out of that person over and over and over again, and put her into horrible situations where she has to get out and everything hangs on her ability to do this, then you are looking at first person for a couple of reasons. Um, first person point of view makes her the person who knows the least about any given situation. That's the definition of your main character. That is the person who knows the least and has to learn the most and has to overcome the most in order to get to the end of the story. And this is, again, okay, now I'm pulling out of Cadence Drake now. First person for her, because I have to beat her up a lot. She has to suffer a lot. She has to lose things that matter to her, and it has to happen inside of her head, because if it happens outside, then the reader can know things she doesn't know. And I cannot let that happen. I have to have it tied down to just her, to just what she sees, to just what she knows, so that I don't accidentally leak secrets into the story. The reader has to find it out along with her. And the reader has found out some absolutely horrifying things through this process, but has also got to see her in the second book, find the guy that she loves after losing her best friend in the first book yeah i'm a little spoilers but these books have been out a really long time so in the second book you know she she has this horrifying encounter with this guy that she manages to survive and he turns out to be the love of her life and in the third book which i don't have out yet um things happen And I have to not let the reader suspect what's going to happen. So I can't let her suspect what's going to happen. So I have to tell it from her point of view. So then third person omniscient puts you into the place where the reader can know everything And that is why that point of view is no longer particularly popular is because it leaks secrets left and right. It kills suspense left and right because you'll have, the the writer will drop things that the reader needs to not know. And to keep the reader turning pages, you need to not drop things, which means your head needs to be inside the heads of various characters. So third-person omniscient has gotten a bad rap because it earned it. Because I think the thing is, a lot of the writers
0: that used it were figuring out their story along the way. Yes. Yes. So, if if that's something, maybe you need to go figure out your story a little bit more, and if you don't know what's coming up next, or you're trying to a, a, a lot of this is just first draft shit that you can fix. Right. So, if you find that you're giving away too much a lot of the times maybe it's just you trying to learn more about your world your story your characters that sort of thing right that is a very very good point
1: okay so was that oh
0: yeah no i wanted to mention too um the the quote said that first person is too limiting and i i want to just touch real quick on limiting limitations and we have discussed this before but I, I mean I truly found this out through art limitations inspire creativity you limit yourself that now I'm not saying anything about mixed media mixed media can be amazing mixed media can be beautiful um but if you limit yourself to I'm going to sit here and do a pencil drawing you can get better at it you can get amazing at it I'm going to limit myself to acrylic portraits. You can get absolutely amazing. When you limit yourself to something, you push the boundaries of those limitations. You find ways to work within those limitations that can become impressive. Like, holly has done if you have read the cadence drake series she works with those limitations limitations are not a bad thing mm-hmm. so whenever i hear something somebody say something is too limiting uh, it, it does bother me a bit because limitations are a good thing limitations with the within a first person is a good thing you know, limitations within third person is a good thing. It's, it's just a different brand. It's a different variety. It's like, it's like um, when you had Talon, you you even kind of broke that little mold by going one person was first person and one person was third person. But then you're also limiting yourself as to how you can write them. Yeah. So even in even in that, even in expanding and giving yourself two completely different methods of point of view, you are limiting yourself. I can't write Gare in first person. I can't write Talon in third person. But then again, you found a way to break that by giving them both each other's memories.
1: Yeah. So in yeah. just that was, one tiny little bit, but yes. Yeah.
0: Which I always thought was a really cool part. Um limitations you can grow within limitations it, it it's like plants have limitations and when you stick to those limitations they grow better <laughs> you know you you can't stick every single plant out there like a succulent in the sun in the in you know middle of a drought and have them all succeed you can't stick succulents out in torrential downpour every day and have them not get waterlogged and die limitations are part of life and the paradox of choice I think is what this person is going through right now I think a good idea if you are going through the paradox of choice is to write out scenes to test scenes to sit down and figure out how you find your character or how your muse connects with the story the best through the different points of view right i think that that that's a good little exercise that not little as in pedantic or anything like that it's just <laughs> it's a good s- small exercise to sit down and try out
1: yeah writing practice you need it you need to try all the different things you need to know how to use every single tool in the toolbox and If you are going to do this, even just for yourself, you cannot say, oh, that's too limiting. You say, no, no, that is awesomely limiting. Let me discover what I can do with those limits. And then you push the shit out of those limits and you discover exactly what you can do and why those limits pay you in a different way than a different set of limits. Having yeah. no limits at all just means that, that having no rules. It's like if anything can happen, nothing matters. That. Yes. Yeah, I was
0: about to quote Jim Bain.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So Because that it's the same thing. It's it's absolutely the same thing. Limits are a
1: wonderful thing. Yeah. You just have to learn to embrace them. Yes, exactly. Okay. And I think that's pretty much it.
0: Okay. On so that. To the next question. One yeah. second. The next question is Sometimes they're fantasy creatures, aliens, or most recently dinosaurs in the case of the children's stories I'm writing. How would one best describe these creatures in a way that the reader can clearly envision what it looks like, behaves like, without
1: bogging the reader down with exposition? Okay, this is one of those fun questions because it's tricky. It's you as the writer want the reader to see what you're seeing, but the reader cannot see what you're seeing. So what you want to do is allow the reader to feel what you're feeling. And when you are doing fantasy creatures, you have maybe just a couple of little things. Um, I'm going to say Kellynx, okay? They're poisonous. They have six limbs. They're lizardy. Okay, that's all I think about all I ever said about Kellings, which were this jungle creature uh, in my uh, Faya novels. In um, Arhel. Yeah, Arhel. Thanks. Mind went blank. Um, You don't describe, you impress. You give the emotion that the person seeing this thing feels when they see it. Oh my God. I can't, I am so scared. Uh, what is that thing? Look at the teeth on that thing. Why is its eyes glowing red? What, why, why does it rustle as it moves? Why is it crouched? Why is it staring at me? Why is the tip of its tail whipping back and forth? When you say that, you have given the reader as much description as they actually need. They're going to fill in for you the physical description they are going to fill in that it is scary and has big pointy teeth, probably bigger than you can imagine, that it's got glowing red eyes. So the reader is going to see what scares the reader rather than what scares you. And this is what you want. You want them to have the emotional reaction to your writing that is not dependent on a pedantic description on, well, uh, this has uh, 34 scales per side in in non-sequential rows, and each of the scales glistens with iridescence. And uh, it has complicated spinal ridges poking up from the back, and I have drawn lots and lots of pictures of this thing, so it is very important for me to make sure the reader sees exactly what is in my head. And that's a mistake. And, and when you start doing these complicated, long descriptions, you are killing the reader's imagination. You are killing this telepathy between you and the reader that is this emotional exchange, brain to brain, of this scares the crap out of me. Therefore, if I am scared and I am writing it scared, my telepathy is going to extend to the reader who is going to be scared because I'm scared.
0: Yeah, um, and I, I think it's important for you as the author to know what it looks like and what scares you and what terrifies you. Uh-huh. But what terrifies you isn't always going to be what terrifies the reader. Right. So it, it's important to not go into too much detail. It's the same thing when it comes to people. Um, you, can, you don't need to give... A really long description of what the people look like a lot of people don't even care what they look like on the cover because it's not what they look like in their head people are going to create in their head their own super frightening version of whatever it is that you're trying to create to scare them or super cuddly version of whatever it's describing something really cute can take just a couple of words and their image in their head is going to go exactly to what they think is cute, which makes you a better writer in their mind because you just hit their buttons. Right. It's like, Oh my God, that is the cutest fucking thing I live. I love it. But it doesn't look anything like what it looks like in your head. And that is okay because you hit the, you hit the important parts and now they love this cute
1: little fucking thing. Right. The important parts are this. You want to convey your emotion. You want to give them an impression You want to give the thing an action. It is doing something. It's not a static thing that is there. It is this adorable little creature that is waddling toward them and and just kind of, and and just all cute and bouncy and adorable. Um, You want to include sensory input, the sounds it's making, uh, the smells. The feeling of it when you touch it—is it soft and furry and fluffy? Is it hard and cold and scaly? It's- yeah, like like the movement you were talking about—that right. that that
0: creepy lizard thing—the slithering sound. Yeah, that that creates a primal reaction in most humans because there, there's a primal—not fear of snakes, but it's it's just a primal reaction to the sound of slithering because that. Targets in our mind, danger. Yeah, you know, outside it could be snakes, it could be uh, alligators,
1: low it could be growls. some low growls. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, a a sort of cough, cough kind of thing, but in a very low register. Things with lower register sounds are generally bigger. Uh, so if it's something with a deep, dark, growly sound, that's a lot more scary than a tiny little squeak. Yeah. Yeah, and that that that
0: defines your genre a lot of times. Like mm-hmm. if it's, let's say it's a troll, and it has this deep cough, then you could be writing some next action adventure fantasy thing. But if it has a funny <coughs> and it's this gigantic huge fucking troll, and he goes, <coughs> I think it's pretty clear you're writing a funny scene. One and it could be a fantasy
1: fun. Yeah. Yeah. Be, but it's. It, it's Unless a little, it's a, a falsetto castrati to, troll with a bad attitude, in which case... But it's still funny. Yes, well, that's, yeah. That's
0: the point. The fact that this big, gigantic troll talks like, you know, uh, Fran Drescher. Or, oh you know what I mean? It's <laughs> Yes. So yes. your small little details like that already, just, just these tiny things that Holly has mentioned, already are setting up this this feeling we're having impressions of our own scenes that we're creating
1: from tiny little sensory details. And, and and let me note also that you can play with that as the writer, in really truly wonderfully evil ways you can give something a tiny squeaky adorable appearance and soft furry cuddly little things and when it gets up to its victim it grows four inch long fangs and leap and it expands to 10 times its size and eats them
0: yes two two things i want to show joe used to be terrified joe is um uh, my youngest brother. He used to be absolutely terrified. He loved Galaxy Quest. Loved the movie. One part he would not watch is those cute little things that when they land on the planet, do does it, do, does it even have air? Do you know? Like, I love that freaking part. But yeah. they get to the planet and there, there are these cute little things and one of them is hurt and oh, I want to go help them. I want to go save them. And then they turn into these vicious cannibals, basically, because they're Killing and eating their dead or or their wounded. They're wounded, they yeah. These, yeah, they have these gigantic, freaking teeth, and it scared the shit out of Joe. The other the other thing to mention is the one in um, Jurassic Park, when the big guy Newman from the Seinfeld show, yeah. um, from Seinfeld, when he is you know crashed and he's trying to find his way somewhere. There is a cute little kind of animal that walks up to him. It's not super cute. But it's kind of cute, and it and it's looking at him weird, and it's squeaking and making little you know ah, ah, noises or whatever. And that thing turns fucking terrifying when the fins come out and yeah. rattle, and then and it hisses, poison
1: and blinds yes. him. Yes.
0: yes, yeah, that that is a good example because especially for me as an animal lover, I was like, oh my god, it's adorable.
1: Oh my god, I love it. And then Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ, I would have died. <laughs> Yeah, so so you play with emotion, impression, action, and sensory input, and, and you hang on to all of these things, all four of these things, instead of a stiff, firm, fixed description. You allow the reader to follow along with you, get emotionally invested, gain an impression, that you want them to have of what this thing is, you show an action, and you put in some sensory input little sounds or smells or, or touches or whatever, and then you bring in whatever it is that you really want to hit them with that's going to stick with them and scare the crap out of them or make them fall in love.
0: Yeah, because it can be vice versa. It can be this big, tough, scary looking biker dude with a low voice and he's got scars and blah, blah, blah. And then he's a
1: teddy bear. Yeah. It could you be know? it could be some sort of a, a an alien bear thing. A monstrous, enormous, scary ass thing. And it it comes up to the the character and it's growling, that's low growl and the ground is shaking because it's so big when it moves. And then it flops over and puts a paw up in the air and you see a thorn in the paw and the character gets to pull the thorn and then it is that character's best friend forever.
0: Yeah. it you just it's it's like uh, one of those Facebook videos where you see this lion rushing at this dude and he just it, it the lion tackles the guy and then lays over there lays on its back and the guy rubs its belly yeah you, you know that they, they they did that on purpose because they wanted to to show you know like oh this guy you know comes back every year and sees his lion that he saved from blah 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 but the way that it was done was perfect because you would think oh holy shit that guy's gonna die oh my god no <laughs> kitty bad kitty but it's just the cat that was way too that got way too big but sees him as a as as a friend to play with so it, it's it's about playing with the with the um expectations and the connotations of certain senses that are going to flip certain buttons in readers. But as, a, as a, a, but when you play on those, when you play on the assumptions that you know the reader's going to have, you come off as a better writer as well. Exactly, exactly.
1: And, and by giving the reader the freedom to see your thing in a way that matters to them. Yeah, in their way. Yeah, they are then more engaged with your characters. It's why when I create characters... Uh, this is people, I generally just uh, dark hair, dark eyes, um, or light hair, dark eyes. I don't, I don't specify, I don't specify boob size. I don't specify uh, tiny little waist or great big ass. I don't specify hot buttons because different things matter to different people and Unless you
0: read your romance novels then everybody always has nice wrists and nice hands. <laughs> it's like your fetish. It's like so gross when I read that. I'm like, "Oh my god. Every single book, <laughs> he has a nice nice hands, strong wrists." It's like gross. Mom. Yeah, well,
1: that's what I notice. Yeah. Yeah. Guys with good but hands. Yeah, but yeah,
0: it's 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 totally about it's it's totally about letting the reader see the thing but putting in your important details. So, like of your fantasy creatures. It's great that you do these massive drawings like if you do or mm-hmm. these massive descriptions. And hell, put them on your website as as something to pull people in. Absolutely. Like, "Oh, look at this drawing." Yeah. But it you're not forcing it on the reader to see it exactly
1: your way. Right. Right. That that right there will make what you have written matter more to your reader is if you make them a collaborator in building the world with you so it's, that they yeah. can put what matters to them into this world that you have built. You let them do that. It's ironic, isn't it, that to be a
0: better writer, you have to, and to give the person their best version of this character, of this thing, of this scary thing or this cute thing, you give them less. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it's, it's just, it's counterintuitive. It is. It is but it is absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. So was there another part to the descriptions? That is it. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, so that one was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you can follow us on the socials. We are at AIARWIP on Twitter. We're at Alone with Invisible People on Instagram. And you can search the hashtag on either of those Alone in a Room with Invisible People or Alone with Invisible People. You can find us on Facebook at Alone in a Room with Invisible People, and you can find us at alone withinvisible people.com. Any of the links, uh things that we've talked about or anything like that, they will be listed in the show notes at alone invisible people.com. And of course we would love to have you join the growing community we have on hollyswritingclasses.com just create a free account come and join us in the forums and ask your questions we will have so many more lots (laughs) lots 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 more for you guys yeah just just keep asking the questions and you know in the forums and we will get to you um
1: i just wanted to say thank you very much for following us we really appreciate it Holly. Yes, thank you. Um, We have an awful good time doing this. Uh, We love hanging out with each other. We love talking writing and we love talking about writing with you. So, you know, let us know what you think and ask all your questions in the forum and uh, we'll see you soon.